Hello to you, dear friends and listeners. Welcome to another episode of Mandatory Redistribution Party. Today we will be talking about propaganda. Myself and Jack scrutinise a confusing Facebook page advertising cheap travel to North Korea. Jack finally gets round to watching HBO's dramatisation of Chernobyl. And Jack provides a deep dive on the manufacturing of consent. Please calm your mind and listen to our words. Thank you. You introduced me to North Korea's Facebook. Mm. Well, it's not North page. Korea's. It's Facebook. Visit North Korea. Sorry, they're completely yeah. separate and presumably has no link whatsoever to the North Korean state Visit North Korea Facebook page. There is a Facebook page called Visit North Korea, and they're putting out memes to advertise visiting North Korea. They've got a budget package, which is like. 300 euros or something like it's quite reasonable mm. to go to north korea I went, I went on their website do you want their blurb yeah visit north korea provides expert-led travel with an emphasis on engagement in the world's most secretive country our high quality affordable north korea tours offer a unique objective and priceless experience guaranteed to leave an impression although it's not priceless and affordable in the same sentence is great <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was like when everyone's making Avengers Endgame memes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of their memes like featured Thanos, but Thanos was the person trying to get you to come to North Korea. Yes. Thanos isn't the yes. goody of that He's film. evil. An evil alien whose objective is to destroy half of the life of the universe mm. is your... <laughs> but it is very... It seems a bit Kim Jong-un. Like it seems... It seems in line with the North Korean state. But everyone that I've shown it to is quite incredulous because they're using very strange memes, like over-the-top memes. Irony poisoned. Thanos, sitting down, he's got his gold bronzy vest on and it has in the subs a small price to pay for salvation. And the uh, Visit North Korea have put, when your North Korea tour is expensive, but you choose to go anyway. (laughs) So I've got... um, I don't know who this little girl is. I don't really know the film. But mm. she's saying to Thanos, did you travel to North Korea? Thanos says, yes. She says, what did it cost? And he says, just 475 euros for an ultra budget tour. <laughs> 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 That's um, Gamora, Thanos' adopted child from, right. a, from a, a planet he destroyed. Like, but I don't think it's actually her. I think it's like a phantom in his mind. Like it's a, it's a manifestation of his own guilt for murdering her. Wow. Which really... T- what baggage. <laughs> yeah. And it's, um, it's the, like an inferno in the background of that one, isn't it? Yeah. Everything's on fire. Which again, <laughs> not good optics. Um, we've got one here. When you see your friend come back from North Korea and he says it was safe. And then there's um, an image of Thanos underneath saying, impossible. 
<laughs> when you return to the DPRK for a second tour, instead of going somewhere new, and then it's Thanos with his helmet and it says, you couldn't live with your own failure. Where did that bring you? Back to me. <laughs> um, the one that really blew my mind is raised the question, what is this page doing? Yes. So there's an image of um, Kim Jong-un pointing at a computer monitor with loads and loads of army generals peering over his shoulder at it. And just the caption they've given it is, oops, our little rocket hit a Japanese tanker. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> but then it's linking to their travel site. Yeah, and you can go right to <sighs> it and you can... Like there's day trips out for the Dragon Boat Day delegation. They're even, um, they've just launched a um, package to study in North Korea. Mm. Like you can go to their uh, universities or. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the latest thing they've done, which was mind blowing, is that they have sponsored a, what is it, Red Car FC? Yeah, Red a T side football, football team. So you've got these like northern blokes with their local football jersey. And there's a massive, like, it is not just a thing on the side of the arm. It is yeah. emblazoned on the front of the shirt, visit North Korea. Fuck. We should approach them for an interview, because I'd love to know the story behind... Visit North Korea? Well, they must have a link to the actual North Korean state. And yet... Of course they do. ...be themselves 20-something irony-poisoned. Like, it's like the dream job, isn't it? To is make it? memes for North Korea, and the whole internet is going... Is this what is, what this, is this legit? <laughs> yeah. But it is. Um, but the thing is, everything about this, I wouldn't put past the actual North Korean state. Well, this is what I'm getting to. Recently, it, they've moved away from the Thanos vibe. Yeah, they've sponsored the footy team. So all of this, this, this kind of fits. As much as the Thanos thing is is bizarre because it's like, oh right, we're using a mass murderer to drum up support for our to, for you to visit our country. They also just like flame America all the time. Oh, you and would. it's like you know. Just the idea of a, of a tourism advert, which is like, oh, the reason you should visit us is that your country is ruled by war criminals. Like attacking, attacking your audiences, your potential customers' country. So there's... But they're not going for Americans. They're going for Westerners who have like online anime avatars that are full... Yes. Online Maoists. So, yeah, okay. So it still makes sense as a marketing thing. Absolutely. So there's one where You've it's- reminded me of their latest one. The, the um, never forget North Korea has never been attacked by a terrorist organization. <laughs> yeah, it was fucking ruthless. Yeah, that is Because it's like, oh yeah. There's so many layers of that of like, oh, that the reason we haven't been attacked is, a, is points for us because America's only been attacked because they fucking deserved it. It's the subtext of that. Well, it's not even that. It's the fucking text of Yeah, uh, although there is another subtext, like it's Luton has never been attacked by yeah. a <laughs> terrorist organization. Yeah, it's nonsensical. Yeah. And, but there's, of, of the hardcore American ones, there's one that's like, it was, it, this was on, you know, it was the start of September, like when everyone's going back to school. Yeah. Right? And, it, and it says, first day of school, North Korea, and it has a picture has a picture of Kim Jong-un looking great with loads of kids. They're all having a great time. Yeah. And then it says, first day of school, United States. Mm -hmm. And it has a picture of um, children cowering underneath tables oh, and like a gunman. Oh, fuck. And this is a tourism. This is yeah. apparently uninvolved with the Korean state. Uh, why, why do you say it's apparently uninvolved with the Korean state? I mean, it blatantly is. But I'm just saying. Um, but they've never it's, denied. It's a, they've never denied any involvement. Like this isn't. 
they're not playing that. No, no, we're an independent tourism firm. They've but never surely said that. that's no, what. So they if have you, like if you, the flag in their bloody logo. Yeah, but they. I the sure, logo is the flag. Oh yeah, I mean it's fucking obvious that they're an agent of the state. But I'm saying apparently because, like, if you were to phone Red Car FC and go, "Excuse me, lads, are you aware that like Visit North Korea is probably an agent of the?" Democratic People's Republic of North Korea. Like, but why does that make it better to Redcar or anyone else? Why does it make it better or worse if this travel firm asking you to go to a totalitarian state is state-run or privately run? That's not... Why is that an interesting consideration for a local football team? Oh, I mean, I don't think it... I don't think it is. I don't think yeah. it is. But I think in uh, business brain... It feels more like propaganda. business brain, if they're like... If it just said on their footy shirts, Democratic People's Republic of Korea, Mm -hmm. that would be across the line, right? Right. Because it says, visit Visit. North Korea, (laughs) although I was tempted, they were were like, right, well, we've been offered, no one wants to give us, we've run out of money from the garage, right? Mm -hmm. Who's going to give Yeah, we can't do like windscreen auto repairs anymore. They've (laughs) they've gone bust. Who's next? Everyone's windscreen's fixed again. Red Car Athletic. Who's lined up? Who's lined up? Yeah. We could have North Korea. Whoa, 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 whoa. North Korea? Yeah, the country. Yeah, with all the, the totalitarian state. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> No, no, don't worry. Don't worry. It's not North Korea. It's, it's visit, visit North, North Korea. Korea. Just some guys who are selling some tickets. Yeah. Just like I- you or I would with Ed Sheeran. Now, <laughs> I want Ed Sheeran to sponsor Red Car Athletic. North Korea is fascinating. Like that it exists that also that it exists like around the countries that it does it's like having something from another century mm. like it's just it's like beamish or something like yeah, that yeah 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 cuz it's like next to korea it's like next to uh china and japan i mean the way that china and what china is politically um is sort of a strange halfway house between like so it's like the future of capitalism yeah, yeah. and the past of communism have somehow managed to get past each other without going through what is currently geopolitically the present yeah 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 um but it's so bizarre like it's next to korea and you just suddenly you've got this border but also actually going into north korea's going into north korea is not that hard that's why there's like a tourism Hmm. thing you can go into north korea under loads of circumstances because they're desperate for people to come and have a look they They want you to visit they want to visit north korea (laughs) i watched a documentary the day called the red chapel it's a danish documentary about um they're called mads brugger Hmm. who um he wanted to bring two Korean or half Korean comedians mm. who are like quite young, like one's 18 and has cerebral palsy and one's like a bit older and they both do comedy in Denmark in some capacity. And so Korea is big on going, yeah, come right over. This is, it's a massive propaganda campaign oh. for them. If any natural born Koreans, they were both born in Korea and them coming back to North Korea mm. for the Korean state. That's mm. like, look, people our natural-born <laughs> Koreans are coming back, but they're coming to North Korea. So they, they they send these guys over. But I think one of the major themes is like forced euthanasia of um, mm. like anyone on my side, like cerebral palsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, this is, that's a, um, I've seen that as North Korean propaganda. There is North Korean propaganda. It's like, there are no disabled people in North Korea. Yeah. There's a weird thing where it's like, oh, the reason that, you know, there's disabled people outside North Korea because those countries are like corrupt yeah. and bad. And there's just no one's born disabled in Korea, but obviously there's something it's about a thinly veiled corruption. Yeah, or not, not government. Yeah, have- just capitalism. They're saying like capitalism causes disabilities. It's right. fucked. And obviously they like 
euthanasia. It's like mm-hmm. fucking horrific. So that completely scans with that propaganda that I've seen before of like that kind of thing of like, well, disabled people don't exist in North Korea, mm. which is horrific. It's bizarre. That's like Nazi. Yeah. High, that's like high level Nazi. I mean, not everyone's believing it because you like, do you believe everything you hear? In exactly. The, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, but what? you'll never see, like, you'll never find those people because why on earth the state puts forward who you can see if you go and visit? Mm. I think they're probably legitimately a lot of North Korean people probably fucking hate America because yeah. because it, it destroyed the war destroyed like eighty or ninety percent of the the whole the whole yeah. eighty to ninety percent of buildings yeah were destroyed like half as much um, bombs were dropped on North Korea as the as as were dropped in World War Two. Wow! They, and napalm, like yeah. three hundred, like not 300, three hundred, thirty thousand tons of napalm, thirty thousand tons of napalm. So, and a, a Trump said something at some point about like, "Oh, we will rain fire down on you." I, yeah. I get before he was mates with mates with, yeah. him. and uh, that if that was being reported, that probably would scare the shit out of you because it's it's like- We've already memory. had this. We know what it is for the sky to be fire. Yeah, it was ni- 1953 is like when it stopped. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, you've got stuff like, apparently the Supreme Leader invented burgers. Yeah. Called it meat double bread. But it feels like- I don't think anyone believes that. <laughs> I don't go in massively for this psychoanalysis politics stuff, but mm. it feels like it's a country that is experiencing huge trauma. Yeah, PTSD. Acting this way because mm. they were absolutely raised to the ground by an unstoppable superpower. Mm. I mean, that's not to say that every radicalized group can just blame America and exonerate themselves, but it's a fact. It explains, it's a paragraph in the yeah. essay. <laughs> it's an important footnote. This yeah. didn't happen in a vacuum. Yeah, this happened because of reasons. But then there's there's stuff that comes out um, of into our media framework, right? Mm. The West media framework, like that one where it was like Kim Jong Un sent dogs to kill his uncle. Like one of his, his uncle, who's like one of the military people, yeah. he, he pissed him off. So he purged him and he like stripped him naked mm-hmm. and then got him hunted by dogs. And that was reported like everywhere, yeah. but it didn't happen. It was originally like a Chinese, like the onion. It was like oh, an wow. onion. It was an onion article type thing, yeah. taking the piss of going, oh, isn't this something the Supreme Leader would do? And like yeah, but it didn't. It didn't actually. Ha- wow. Obviously, horrific. He was probably killed, but it yeah. would have just been by firing squad. <laughs> I'm not just. You know what I mean? I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I'm, I'm not. Oh, like, nothing to worry yeah. about. What are you complaining about? <laughs> just a bit of firing squad. Just the wall. All Western media fucking lapped that shit up. Wouldn't have, if it? I bet it was in like the Times, the paper of record, right? With probably no apology ever. Uh, and I think but they just goes- got they just got done by Chinese the Onion. <laughs> I think it goes to show that like. When you're in a country, you absorb that ideology, and the further away a country, another country is, either geographically or culturally or politically, yeah. you just can't like even look at it properly. It's like you yeah. can't even see what it is. You can't think about it because there's all this stuff in the way. Yeah, you can't actually look at North Korea and just observe what it is and come to a clear analysis because you've got to go through the fact that you're in a neoliberal country mm. and you're looking at this ultra reactionary um totalitarian Stalinist quasi communist yeah. state yeah and you can't get a read on it but that thing of outsider perspective is can be good as well can make make things like RT and press TV and Al Jazeera you really useful sources because they have this slightly even though they're you know, the buildings and where they're doing the interviews are probably in London or whatever. Yeah. Sometimes they have like a slightly different 
angle and it can give you like Al Jazeera. Uh, I remember during the Iraq war, their reporting showed a lot more of the brutality. Yeah. Um, and I think, are they Qatari TV? I can't remember. Well, they're, I think they're a Middle Eastern state. Whatever money's coming. Yeah. They got some yeah. sort of agenda or whatever, but I remember stuff like they, uh, they would show like gore of, of the consequence yeah. of violence of the Iraq war. And I think Afghanistan as well. And then um, uh, either us or America bombed one of their like press offices in one of those mm. wars. I can't remember the details, but uh, that definitely happened. You can just Google it. Um, they, uh, but they would give like a slightly different perspective mm-hmm. that would give you, and that obviously has its own like objectivity is just a fucking, it's like a thing to aspire to that's impossible to ever achieve. Yeah. Right. They have that thing of that outsider perspective that can get you out a little bit of your own bubble yeah. slightly, but they're still. Oh, I've watched plenty of Al Jazeera and even Russia Today that's like done good reporting on stuff that's not being reported on in the UK. Mm. You just have to watch it knowing, like it's like you're saying, objectivity. um, If I'd say it's not even something to like fully aspire to because you can't reach it. Mm. Go for transparency over objectivity because you can never say, oh, this is an opinion or a point of view that's completely divorced from the human experience or the person that's come to that conclusion. But if you go, here's who I am, here's like what I'm about, and that should inform how you interpret what I'm about to tell you. So that's how you can do it with all broadcasters because I think the the more a broadcaster is going, no, we're like the watchers who sit above and simply observe. We have no horse in this race because we don't exist on the planet. We're just pure information from a machine brain. (laughs) You can't trust that. You can't trust someone who's trying to sell you that that's their perspective. Well, even for like, you don't even need an agenda. Like the concept of news elevates what is currently happening in the moment as the more important information that needs to be conveyed rather than like the slow grinding horror of like environmental catastrophe or austerity. It has to be an incident that's happening, which is why we get sucked, the army media gets sucked into Westminster theatrics uh, and, um, or, you know, or just like moment to moment story politics with these individual things. So you get the very concept of news tends to, tends to ignore structural or slow things without, and you can be saying factual things. Jacob Rees-Mogg has lied down. Oh no. Yeah. Uh, That is a fact. And it, you know, an objective truth or whatever, but the fact that you have deemed that news mm. or it, the idea of news is like the information that we should care about is what is new yeah. is itself. Why is that? Yeah. Like, you know how climate change is an upwards trend, but within that mm-hmm. trend, there are seasons and plenty of other yeah, effects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what you're getting is like an up and down curve, uh-huh. but it is, it is upwards trending. But the nature of news is always oh, going up a lot. Oh, it's going down a bit again now because yeah. it's winter. Oh, well, yeah, I love every winter when yeah. like the ice increases, then they're like, well, you get it both, both sides. So yeah. you get catastrophizing clickbait where it's yeah. like spring or something like, oh, the ice is melting. And then in the winter, the uh, sort of right-wing reactionary climate deniers go like, oh, look, nothing, everything's fine. Yeah. The ice is back. <laughs> look, the ice is back. It got cold at winter. Yeah there's been a massive incident or there is an open question or there is an open inquiry into something to do with the government. Yeah. Six months later, it's as though that never happened. That's gone mm. now. That has just vanished. Okay, Philip Hammond declared austerity was over. Yeah. Okay, so that declaration, what's the scrutiny been on that? Is austerity over? Like, that's just an open question. We don't say austerity anymore. Is austerity over? Does that mean we've gone back to pre-austerity funding? No. No, he so, just said it. 
So it's been said, or like Northern Powerhouse. Yeah. There has been some stuff said about that, but is that done now or is that... Windrush. Yeah. That was news. Where's that gone? It was Where's news. It died gone? down. There was like flack for it. Mm-hmm. Someone got sacked who then got put back in the government. I don't want to get bogged down in Westminster bullshit, but yeah. that that's now, I'm pretty sure nothing, has, fuck all's been addressed, done to address that. And that's still happening. Yeah. Nothing. Grenfell. That was yeah. years ago. People still homeless. Yeah. What the fuck's going on? But it, but it goes out of, you know, there's a finite amount that the media, even people consume the media, can care because yeah. of the mental bandwidth. Like, oh, well, you know, that was, that was four weeks ago. That was- but the solution to that, people only care about a certain issue being, you know, driven into their eyes mm. on a regular basis. But the solution to that isn't go, here's a new catastrophic event, because that's just information overload. That's yeah. overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess because you have to say you're objective, you're not allowed to do analysis because analysis is opinion. Analysis is ideology. If you go, here's this complicated event may have been caused overall by this larger phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-oh, we're abstracting into opinion and ideology. Analysis itself is is, um, subjectivity. Yeah. So you can't analyze things. You're like, just all these random chaotic events are happening all the time. (laughs) No one knows why. Don't seek other sources. Fuck. <laughs> That's the way the news works. If the news, especially like the BBC, cannot ever in any way appear to be overtly subjective. They have to just have this ideological underpinnings for what objective news they happen to shunt. Yeah. And hire people basis. like fucking Evan Davis to mm. report on economics, a man who like was one of the architects of the poll tax. Mm. Uh, and would love if everything was just privatized. Oh, he's just, you know, he's just. He's got the cred. He's got the cred, got a qualification. An institution, don't look at where the money goes that funds that institution, but they've said he's got the creds. Yeah. Fuck. I was brought up, like a lot of people, to believe that journalism was a crusading craft and that there were a lot of troppy, difficult people in journalism. And I have to say, I think I know some of them. I'm, I'm sure you're speaking for the majority of journalists who are trained have it driven into their heads that this is a crusading, a profession, adversarial, we stand up against power, a very self-serving view. Uh, on the other hand, in my opinion, I hate to make a value judgment, but the better journalists, and in fact the ones who are often regarded as the best journalists, have quite a different picture. How, how, can, you, how can you know that I'm self-censoring? How can you I know don't that you're self-censoring? Are... I'm sure you believe everything you're saying. But what I'm saying is if you believe something different, you wouldn't be sitting where you're sitting. That was Andrew Marr interviewing Noam Chomsky about propaganda in 1996. Propaganda. A term most associated with North Korea, China, and a 2007 album by German synth-pop group Mellotron. There's no propaganda here in the free world. Except Mellotron's album, which is widely available online. We have free speech. Our journalists try their best to give us the truth so we can make informed decisions. That's why everything is fine. The only misinformation we have to worry about is from our nefarious foreign enemies and their bot farms flooding social media with fake news. We can trust the real news. Hey pal, I got some news for you about the news. News so new, it's from 1988. In 1988, a few years before the Cold War ended and everything became fine, fine, fine. 
American academics Noam Chomsky and Edward Herman wrote Manufacturing Consent. Using extensive research, the book revealed the notion that media in capitalist democracies holds power to account was bullshit. Instead, they showed how the media manufacture, manufacture. our consent. consent. That phrase was actually coined in 1922 by American journalist Walter Lippmann to refer to the management of public opinion, which he felt was necessary for democracy to work, since he felt the public opinion was irrational. The people were a bewildered herd who need to be controlled. Chomsky and Herman's book shows how this control is exercised, not by foreign puppet masters or shadowy billionaires. Can you say anti-Semitic trope? But through political, social and economic systems. For Chomsky and Herman, before news reaches us, it goes through five filters which stop dangerous ideas like equality or peace from reaching audiences. Us. They call this the propaganda model. Propaganda model. Filter one. Ownership. News outlets are concentrated in the hands of a few big corporations whose goal is not to inform us, but to make money. 70% of the UK newspaper market is controlled by three companies, News UK, Daily Mail and General Trust, and Trinity Mirror, with Rupert Murdoch's News UK holding a third of the entire market. None of these companies are trying to keep us informed. They just want us to read their content. Are you a 58-year-old man who wants to feel smart? Here's a news story about how exams are easier now. Do you think Katie Hopkins is a horrible racist? Check out this latest, even more racist thing she said. Filter 2. Advertising. The second filter exposes the real role of advertising. News actually costs loads to make, and if we just paid for it at its value, we probably wouldn't buy it. So who fills in the gap? Advertisers. Around 80 to 90% of news revenue comes from advertisers. What are they paying for? Us! The news is a means to an end, a way to get certain audiences for targeted ads. Businesses sure don't want to put their adverts in a genuinely radical left newspaper. <laughs> like, even if they did, it'd undermine the message a bit, wouldn't it? Even if you had something calling for a general strike, then an advert next to it. Every advert, regardless of what product it's for, is propaganda for capitalism. This is how you end up with bizarre stuff like a Guardian article about climate change next to a two-page advert for a 4x4 that runs on coal and poor people's blood. Filter 3. Sourcing. Even the biggest news sources can't have reporters everywhere, so they concentrate their resources on places they know they can get news. Downing Street, Parliament, businesses. They depend on official spokespeople for news, so they exist in a symbiotic relationship. They get to know the people they're supposedly holding to account. This pinus is how we get things like Robbie Gibb, former head of BBC Westminster, who was in charge of Daily and Sunday Politics, The Andrew Marr Show, and Radio 4's Westminster Hour. He just went straight out of that job to become Theresa May's director of communications. Like, he just became the actual propaganda manager for the Tories. Journalists who offend powerful news sources can be denied access to the content they need. Can't get that fresh, fresh news. Certain sources are seen as legitimate and newsworthy, usually the state and big business, but representatives of workers like trade unions are few and far between. Newspapers and TV news has whole sections on business from the perspective of capital without representing workers at any point, and we just think that's normal. Filter 4. Flack. When the media, journalists, whistleblowers, whoever, stray away from the acceptable line, they get flack. Sources will be discredited, and conversation will be diverted, or worse. Look at treatment of Edward Snowden or Chelsea Manning. Look at Daphne Galizia, the journalist who leaked the Panama Papers. She was assassinated in a car bomb attack in 2017, and there's still no inquiry into why this happened. Uh-oh. Filter 5. The common enemy. To manufacture consent, you need an enemy, a baddie. 
because it deflects anger away from anything else. In 1998, that common enemy was obviously the Soviet Union, but after 9-11 it became the terrorists, or actually just the abstract concept of terrorism. But both are just variations on the most common theme, which is the foreigners. Immigrants, the EU or Russia all fall into this category. So those are the five filters of the propaganda model. Concentrated ownership. Concentrated ownership. Advertising, advertising, sourcing, sourcing, flack, flack, and the common enemy. common enemy. Obviously, this isn't a complete model of propaganda in our society. It doesn't include like fictional entertainment and how that can function as propaganda. It doesn't explain why watching a couple Pokemon videos on YouTube means I'm now recommended hours of fascist propaganda. The propaganda model doesn't look at the social composition of those who work in journalism. 51% of the top journalists in the UK went to private school, compared to 7% of people going to private school in the total population. <laughs> um, the propaganda model developed in America doesn't fully explain the bizarre nature of the BBC, which is where a lot of people get their news. It doesn't explain how, according to a Cardiff University study, the public broadcaster had the most pro-war agenda of all British broadcasters during the invasion of Iraq. It doesn't explain its normalisation of Farage and sympathetic reporting of Tommy Robinson. It doesn't explain its pattern of hostile coverage of Jeremy Corbyn and those who support him, as demonstrated by the Media Reform Coalition. It doesn't explain why someone like Roger Carr should serve on the BBC's governing body. Carr is chairman of BAE Systems, you know, the arms company that, among other horrors, has Saudi Arabia as their third biggest market, recently supplying the regime with 72 fighter jets, some of which were used to bomb Red Cross and MSF hospitals in Yemen. Or how current head of the BBC board, David Clementi, was until a few years ago the chairman of NHS privatisation profiteer Virgin's banking arm. And maybe the propaganda's biggest flaw is its optimism. <laughs> There's a Chomsky quote that goes, The general population doesn't know what's happening, and it doesn't even know that it doesn't know. But people can see the homeless people in the streets. Maybe they've even heard that UCL study that linked austerity to 120,000 deaths. And maybe they just don't care. Maybe they think it's great. It's actually more comforting to think people believe what they do because their consent has been manufactured, like they've been tricked. If they know the truth and still think as they do, that's much more grim. Regardless of its flaws, the propaganda model is a really useful way of understanding how our media works. Here's another clip of Andrew Marr. This time, in 2003, stood outside Downing Street as political editor of the BBC at the climax of the unprovoked invasion of Iraq. Uh, Mr Blair is well aware that all his critics out there in the party and beyond aren't going to thank him because they're only human for being right when they've been wrong this is a very, very important moment for him. It gives him a new freedom and a new self-confidence. Uh, he confronted uh, many critics. I don't think anybody after this is going to be able to say of Tony Blair that he's somebody who is driven by the drift of public opinion or focus groups or opinion polls. He took all of those on. He said that they would be able to take Baghdad without a bloodbath and that in the end the Iraqis would be celebrating. And on both of those points he has been proved conclusively right and it would be entirely ungracious uh, even for his critics, not to acknowledge that tonight he stands as a larger man and a stronger Prime Minister as a result. Do you think you can accidentally do propaganda? Uh, yeah, I think, I think we all accidentally do propaganda, right? If propaganda is about spreading ideology, then everything we say bears 
values and unconsidered beliefs. We're all we're all propaganda machines. That's we're like, all propaganda machines. If propaganda is about ideology and not about the state specifically, then yes. What's the difference between the state and ideology there? So you could be spreading propaganda for the state. I guess state propaganda is like someone has sat down in a room and gone, here are our objectives. Here's what we want people to be thinking because we're going to launch a, a strike on the Faroe Islands in November. <laughs> so we need to put out loads of anti-Faroe Island yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ASAP. Whereas ideology is just like, hey man, it's great to drive a car. Hey, it's great to drink alcohol, but it's not okay to take these substances. Mm. They're just like not very well considered beliefs that have to get like sunk into your brain at night. I would go as far as saying that most propaganda is accidental or unconscious. But we know like, especially like American CIA style stuff, people have sat down in these rooms and been like, here's what we need to put out. Oh, there's loads of, like, yeah. um, I, I, for some reason, the thing that comes to mind is Black Hawk Down, that Ridley Scott movie, right. where it's set in uh, Somalia and they do weird stuff. Like they give all the uh, Somalis, like at Kalashnikovs and stuff, but the biggest arms exporter to that area, that like, they would have had American-made guns. Yeah. But because the US military is a consultant on the movie, then loads of weird stuff starts happening like that where it's actually facilitating, you know, it becomes propaganda. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so many TV shows are police procedurals. Mm. I mean, even the ones that aren't police procedurals have the, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a procedural where they investigate stuff, right? Okay. No, I'm not saying Buffy's propaganda. I'm happy to accept that Buffy the Vampire exists in the same spectrum as the Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Both fantastic theme tunes. I think there's so many cop shows which you could be like, oh, it's propaganda because it's all about like sympathizing and empathizing with this policeman character. You never get a fly in the wall from the uh, perpetrator's perspective. No. Where you like watch them grow up and then decide to commit a crime and then you watch them in prison. <laughs> you never see like a cop style show, show well, that side of the story. The closest, the closest thing to that is like The Wire. Mm. But even that, the majority of that, well, at least half of it is still looking at cops, although not necessarily in a sim always sympathetic way. And that tries to have like a systematic analysis. Sure, but you never get you never get a one where the cops are just this unknown enemy that swoop in and ruin everything. The cops always have to be humanized in a point where if there is a major problem, oh, it's the system. These cops really, really want to do good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another cop higher up won't let them. Yeah. You never get this thing of like, we're just trying to live in this ghettoized area and then the cops come and arrest or kill some of us well, and then know, leave. The, the stuff like cops being more likely to uh, commit perpetrate domestic violence mm -hmm. um you know that's never the main storyline uh even even when you it's often sympathy with the cop like oh the cop is so conflicted that they have to drink to drown their sorrows yeah. of beating up you know petty criminals etc but i think a lot of that ends up functioning as propaganda but i don't think the people writing it think that that's what they're doing I was trying to think why there's so many cop shows and it's not because everyone loves cops. It's like a, a basic story thing of like a thing that makes a story appealing is characters like changing and learning. And the easiest shortcut to that is to have, instead of a character like learning something about themselves or, you know, going through the, the hero's journey or whatever. Sure, they just, you just have a, a fingerprint on a windowsill. Yes. And they've learned something. Yeah, they don't yeah. know. They start off not knowing something and then they find it out. And yeah. then and a police procedure or any kind of procedural is a machine for making weekly episodes or season-long arcs that are just mm. that. 
a murder is is more interesting to find out about for most people than you know accounting or something. So cops are the go-to thing because they're the people that are, are close to death. They you know they're dealing with death. right. Yeah, they're the they're like the boatman of the river sticks. <laughs> but I think it goes back into our like literary history as well because before cop shows there was the whole like Poirot, Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie mm-hmm. serialized short stories inserted into periodicals this was like the victorian like go-to genre format what is the the story of like london invented a lot of things to do with policing and prisons and stuff yeah robert peel robert peel was the politician that was big on because that's where bobbies are alternative at the time peelers Mm -hmm. come from so we're talking 1800s so it's not that long after that that people then started writing about it because it's not only fits a storytelling uh, structure very well, but it's also quite a new idea. Well, cops as a thing developed alongside capitalism to protect yeah. private property alongside other functions. So they exist to maintain the existing social order and they developed with that social order. And then obviously in America, it has an even more sinister thing where a lot of the original police forces were slave catchers, yeah. where the, you know, the iconic sheriff's badge of a star was a slit symbol for slave catchers who, who would go and, well, it's exactly clear what they do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's weird to think that like policing and detectives and stuff is not really an old idea. It's not like built into human civilization. Mm-hmm. Someone online was saying that um, a cab, all cops are bastards, mm-hmm. should also apply to like Night's Watchmen and fantasy settings. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, nice and, then, and then a lot of people are like, oh, wow, really? Like, just the guy who, like, pulls back, the, like, the the gate of the Mott and Bailey castle. Yeah, to what's be the like, password? Who comes in? This fort's not allowed outsiders. Doing <laughs> like, that guy's structurally a bastard. <laughs> but then someone came in to the replies and said, actually, a lot of these things were done on rotation. They were done by rotor, a little bit like jury service. So if you're saying that, you're saying the entirety of the uh, po- male population of that castle are bastards. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I, I bring this up, the procedural propaganda thing, mm-hmm. is under immense social pressure for months, I finally watched Chernobyl, oh, right. which is a procedural, right? It's There's a main character who like solves a thing and it has all the tropes that we've just been talking about of like the men up top, they don't bloody listen to him. He's oh, trying yeah. to say- we need to do this. No, not bloody this. You it's know. probably got He's the not whole, you can't handle the truth. It's built right into it. Yeah, it's yeah. really got those vibes. But I think, and loads of people are, oh, Chernobyl's uh, anti-Soviet propaganda. Yeah, right. and I, don't, I don't think it is. I think it's just using the existing tropes. It's accidental propaganda. What, as in like, the way it works and all the bureaucracy and all, there's a guy up above who won't let mm. me just do my job and they're all trying to hide their own asses. Yeah. It's not a story that you could only write inside Soviet no. Russia because that story has been written and perfected within <laughs> capitalist America. Yeah. I think it's just using tropes, right? Like they needed... So there's loads of stuff where it doesn't quite get stuff completely right from what I know about. And you know the bit where the uh, the like one good politician who's like initially doesn't really like scientist man and he's like, you need to explain to me how a nuclear yeah. reactor works. I'm going to throw you out the helicopter. It's like, well... I don't know, summary executions of, of like, yeah, that's not, there was this desalinization and mm. they needed a character beat. They, they need, he's, he's saying, I'll throw you out of the helicopter unless you explain how a nuclear reactor works to the audience mm-hmm. right now, because that's who I'm standing in for. And we need an exposition scene 
And this is more interesting because it's more has more dramatic tension than you just explaining it to me. I don't think the guy was writing it was like, I just need to make the unresponsive bureaucracy of the Soviet Union. I need to exaggerate its callousness to serve my anti-Soviet propaganda mission. I think he was like, this scene becomes more dramatic if I add the threat of death. Oh, I mean, my favourite thing of that is like the KGB scene that they put in it, where the KGB scene's like looming over him like <laughs> some Italian mafioso granddad who's trying to scare him off. But in reality, the KGB was like a shadowy bureaucratic police force. Yeah. They wouldn't bother looming over you and saying some poetic, scary lines. <laughs> you just vanish. You just go away. <laughs> yeah. They wouldn't do this sinister... I'm going to meet you in the meat locker and we're going to talk about how you've been behaving towards yeah, Gorbachev. You've been naughty. Yeah, they'd just be like, gone. <laughs> Goodbye. Do you know Gorbachev was in a Pizza Hut advert? Yeah. And it's, <laughs> um, and, and strangely, like the Pizza Hut advert also like platforms his detractors, right? Because the, <laughs> yeah. the guy, in fact, let's just talk about the advert. Yeah. Um, it's got a guy who's, um, everyone's just eating pizza from Pizza Hut. And then the guy going, that's Gorbachev. He's absolutely <laughs> ruined the country. And then someone that he's sharing a pizza with, like an older woman goes, no, he actually brought this country greatness. He's a champion of our country. <laughs> like, well, hang on. And they haven't stopped eating pizza, but they're like really arguing about whether or not Gorbachev was ultimately a good or bad person. But then a third character comes in and goes, well, regardless of whether you think Gorbachev's, the things he gave us are bad and you think the things he gave us are good, what he definitely gave us was delicious pizza, was Pizza Hut. And that's... And then they both, both the characters who were previously arguing, just like knowingly smile like, yeah. And then they do, I think they do like a cheers as you would with a mug, but with a slice of pizza mm. towards Gorbachev. Nice. That advert was never shown in Russia because Gorbachev is so hated in Russia. He had an election after the collapse of the Soviet Union and got mm -hmm. like less than 1%. I don't suppose you know where that advert falls in relation to the collapse of the Soviet Union. Night, I don't know, 90s. So I don't think immediate, but like soon. So enough. the Soviet Union has collapsed. Yeah. And then, I mean, of course. Like, yeah. Oh, it's not, no, it's not why he is the yeah. premier of the Soviet Union. Right. Hi, Gorbachev. I know you're running a country, but can you just, what do you think of pizza? Do you like it? It could have been a last ditch. It's Gorbachev. It is Gorbachev. Because of him, we have economic confusion. Because of him, we have opportunity. Because of him, we have political instability. Because of him, we have freedom. Complete chaos, hope, political instability. Because of him, we have many things, like Pizza Hut. Hail to Gorbachev. Hail to Gorbachev. Sometimes nothing brings people together like a nice hot pizza from Pizza Hut. The bit that stood out to me where I was like, this is a bit propagandary, is where it's like, right, it might even be episode one, where all the local council people meet in a, in a bunker underneath a Lenin statue, which mm -hmm. was, it was all like, I was like, this, this seems a bit on the nose. It might've been really authentic, fuck knows. But then, and then they're, they're like bickering about what's happening to the reactor and whether they'd evacuate people. And uh, one guy's like, oh no, I think it probably is really bad when you say, because we need to, we need to get people out. And this old man who's been quiet in yeah. the corner 
suddenly pipes up. He, he taps his walking stick, tap, tap, tap. And he gets up and he says, he does this speech that's the bizarrest. It's so bizarre. It, he's like, do you know that the real name of the Chernobyl nuclear reactor is the Vladimir Lenin nuclear reactor? And the state in socialist Russia has all our interests at heart. So we must obey the state. It's the weirdest thing. I've got the script here for episode one of Chernobyl. In the original, this scene I'm going to read is a meeting of local politicians like bickering about what to do uh, until they're interrupted by this wise old man character in the corner tapping his cane, who gives this bizarre, inspiring lecture about communism to people in the Soviet Union. Uh, to show how bizarre this dialogue is, I've, I've recreated it as if it was taking place in the uh, in a capitalist country in, in, in the UK. And all I've done is switched out a few words here and there. Uh, so the big disaster they're discussing is climate change, and instead of the state, they talk about the market, blah, blah, blah. Weirdly, it still kind of works as a maybe super heavy-handed critique of corporate power. Uh, you could just drop this scene into a dramatization of something about Deepwater Horizon or Five Mile Island or whatever, and it would still suck. The point is no one would say these things out loud. We begin in a local branch of some multinational company as some of them realize climate disaster is upon them. Gentlemen, please, my wife is here. Do you think I would keep her in Wolverhampton if climate change was dangerous? Gary, the fucking reservoirs are empty. It's been 37 degrees in Blackpool since February. More crosstalk. Voices rising now. Gary has lost control of the room. Big Rob tries to step in. It's the El Nino effect. It's a completely normal phenomenon. Tap, tap, tap. Tap, tap, tap. They turn to the old man in the corner, tapping his cane on the floor. Everyone quiets down. The old man is Jeff. He makes a motion to stand. The G4S guard comes over quickly to help him up, but Jeff waves him off. I wonder, how many of you know the name of this place? We call it the UK, of course. But what is its proper name? They look at each other. No clue. Until... Margaret Thatcher's United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Exactly. Margaret Thatcher, and how proud she would be of you tonight. Especially you, Vanessa, and the passion you have for the people. For is that not the sole purpose of the free market? Jeff looks at them, his old eyes twinkling with memories of great days, of great men. Bernie Eccleston, Tim Martin, Peter Stringfellow. From the shareholders and the CEO, all the way down to each of us in this room. We represent the perfect expression of the collective will of the free market economy. The invisible hand. The board members take this in, sobered but proud. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we fall prey to fear. But our faith in private property and markets will always be rewarded. Always. The shareholders tell us the situation is not dangerous. Have faith. The shareholders tell us they do not want a panic. Listen well. Jeff turns to Vanessa once again. True. When the people see G4S security, 
They will be scared, but it is my experience that when the people ask questions that are not in their own best interest, they should simply be told to keep their minds on their labour and to leave matters of the market to the market. Jeff scans the room. He has them in the palm of his hand. We shut down the borders. None of the foreigners get in. Get a press release to the mail and the telegraph. This is how you keep the people from undermining the fruits of their own labour. This is how your names become inscribed in the hallways of Buckingham Palace. The men in the room look back at him in reverence, dreaming of promotions, certificates, maybe even an OBE. Yes, gentlemen, we shall be rewarded for what we do here tonight. This is our moment to shine. The room bursts into applause. The system is working. All will be fine. There's a fundamental problem with storytelling. You're not going to get, like, geopolitical or socioeconomic analysis from a TV show because mm-hmm. compelling TV shows are about individual characters. And the, the idea of, like, the plucky upstart scientist against the man yeah. is, is just the same trope that we were talking about as in cop shows or as in anything. Sure. Uh, it's radioactive network. Yeah, it's a short... It's a shorthand that makes something more dramatic. Um and I, I really thought those scenes like stood out to me as super lame and also a consequence of the, the writers writing in the context of American ideology and their own upbringing. But it's definitely not conscious propaganda. You could take the whole thing as a giant allegory for climate change yeah. and how the world, particularly the, the wealthy North, global North, has just been to- the total inaction over climate change. Mm-hmm. Uh, total ideologically shackled to notions of infinite economic growth on a finite planet, et cetera, et cetera, is the same thing that's depicted in an exaggerated way in the show about. Yeah, but imagine in 30 years' time and we're killed by bureaucracy and not greed. No, I'm an (laughs) all-round Western capitalist. I'd much rather be killed, not because the system didn't let individuals solve the problem, but because someone could have solved it and just chose not to. They, they looked at AZ5 and just didn't, didn't push it. Yeah. Jeff Bezos is there going, I actually could uh, solve AZ5 50 times over, but it would mean mooring up my yacht. And I've actually got a very good position where I am right now. So good luck, everyone. <laughs> Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Evans. Our title theme is by Ella Jean, with additional music by Jack Evans. As ever, reviews on iTunes, likes, shares, clicks are the principal sanctioned way of showing affection to us. Sugar lumps for the algorithm. Yum, 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 yum. Yum, yum. Delicious.